Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. If you would, let's open to Exodus chapter 20, starting in, in verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Very first thing God's saying here, and, and remember, this is we're reading all of this in the context of Romans 7.7, 7, because we're going to look at covetousness today. And Romans 7.7 7 says, Paul is going through you know, um, grace versus the law. And he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Modern translation of certainly not. Are you an idiot? <clears throat> On the contrary. In fact, it's just the opposite. I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Everything we're going to read here is God gave this to the nation of Israel so that the nation of Israel would know beyond a doubt you cannot do this on your own. The last two songs we, we sang about the presence, Lord, I need you. It, sometimes we just get busy in life and we, we, we get to doing the activities of life and we think, I'm okay. Well, in Christ, you are perfect. In Christ, you are more than okay. But when it comes to living your life out, there's not a day come. Paul says it in, I think it's in, in one of the letters to, the Tim to Timothy. He says, pray without ceasing. And I've said this before. There is no way you can pray 24 hours a day. And that's literally what that means. Because if you try that, you will not live long. You have to sleep. Gina and I, I cashed in my Christmas present last night, and we went to see Tim Hawkins in Anderson, which is a long fur piece from here. That's hillbilly for, it's an hour away. And he, he, he joked long, and I'm operating on about three hours sleep right now, and believe me, when you do things like that, you realize you, you got to rest every once in a while. Your body says, yeah, okay. I'll let you go till maybe 11, 30, 12 o'clock, and then we're going to bed. When God says, Paul says, or God says through Paul, pray without ceasing, he's saying don't ever come to a point in your life where prayer is not paramount. You could also say don't ever try, think you can get to a point where the immediate right now presence of God is not necessary to get you through the next 30 seconds, the next 5 seconds, the next hour of your life. We have to have his presence. That's why he starts this thing out. I am the Lord, your God. It's personal. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am involved in your life. I'm not passive. I'm not, I didn't just spin this thing up and let her rip. And I'm sitting back to see how things work out. No, God is saying right here, I'm involved in your life. Or I want to be involved in your life. It's kind of up to you whether you let me or not. Verse, verse um, 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or that's in the earth beneath 
or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. I'm not going to go back and explain that other than to say this is inserted here, but go sometime and look how far the blessings go. God says when you do things wrong, it's going to affect you. It will affect your children and your grandchildren and their grandchildren. It has effects down through generations. But when he talks about the blessings, he said it will go for a thousand generations. I'm living, I have to deal with issues in my life because of what my, my father's shortcomings, my grandfather's shortcomings, and my great-grandfather's shortcomings. But I go back a thousand generations for the blessings I get to walk in. Which is God's way of saying, your blessings overwhelm your, the, the curse that the enemy tries to bring on you. Now, he, he includes this to let us know how we live is important. My kids are, my, my son and my daughter are living under some of the problems because I had problems and their mama had problems. Let's face it. When I taught school, I used to have kids say, well, I come from a dysfunctional family. You just don't understand. And it's like, yeah, I do understand. They're all dysfunctional. There's not a normal family out there. I mean, it just doesn't exist because there are no normal people. We're all abnormal. We're all quirky in our own way. I'm going to leave that one. Verse 6, But showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my command. Verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested the seventh day. We're still in that seventh day of rest right now. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Number two, or verse 12, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Paul says in Ephesians that that is the first uh, commandment with promise. When Gina and I, when our kids were little and we had the discipline, we always came to that verse. That look, there's a reason you need to obey us. So that your life will be long and prosperous. Fortunately for them, they were more obedient than Gina and I ever were. Oh, well, Gina was pretty obedient. Then let me just say, my kids are more obedient than I ever was. They're living a more prosperous life than I ever did. Why? Because they tapped into it. Verse 13, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then verse 17 is where we're going to end up today. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Don't covet what he owns, your house. Don't covet um, his wife. This is talking to men primarily. Women, don't covet your neighbor's husband. 
Don't covet the male or the female servant. Don't cover his oxen. Don't cover what the tools that he has. Don't cover or covet um, um, the um, the animals or the again for us an oxen was a tool. If they've got a thousand tools and can do all kinds of things, don't covet that. Nor is donkey nor anything that's in your neighbor's house. That that last phrase is just basically just do not covet. So here's the question. What does that mean? What, what does it mean to covet? Well, when you ask that question, usually what people will say, well, it means I want, I want. Yes and no. Let's look at, at Luke chapter 12, verse 15. This is the story of the, the rich fool. This is the guy who um, um, owned a lot of land, had a bumper crop, couldn't store all of this crop in, his, in the barns that he had, so he went and built new barns and decided, I'm going to store all this abundance of crop in my new barns. And he did, and got everything in the barns, and he's sitting pretty. And God comes to him that night, and he says, You fool, did you not know that I'm calling you home tonight? You've laid up all of this stuff so that you can enjoy, and you're not going to get to enjoy any of it. Verse 15 says, this is what God said to him, Take heed and beware of covetousness. The man's problem wasn't that he accumulated wealth. Remember, God sent Joseph to Egypt to tell the Pharaoh, there's seven years of plenty coming and there's seven years of famine coming. In the seven years of plenty, you set aside huge, vast amounts of stuff. God will sometimes tell you, I want you to amass some goods. Because there's coming some lean years, you're going to need that. It's part of the reason it's not a sin to have a savings account. It's not a sin to have a retirement account. In fact, it's, it's wise. Otherwise, you end up having to work all your life, although I don't know that that's bad anyway. But, but the problem was the covetousness. Now, look what, how, how Jesus finishes this. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, when I read that, I'm thinking, well, if I possess it, then I get to line up my trophies. Because a lot of very rich people will tell you money is just a sideline. The only thing that money represents is how we keep score. That's it. It's all money represents. I can, I'm, I'm higher than you because I have more than you. You're a billionaire. I'm, I'm twice a billionaire. Well, no, somebody else says, yeah, but, you know, I mean, there are a couple of sheiks in the Middle East that they've got, like, you know, they're worth $100 billion. One guy over there bought a, a, a 747 for his private plane. And then and for what he spent for the plane, he spent that much more refurbishing it actually put a hot tub in the middle of his airplane next to his bedroom. Thinking, who wants to be in a hot tub in an airplane? You hit an air pocket, you know, anyway. My point is, it, again, it's not the accumulation of the wealth because when this says it's not in the abundance of the things he possesses, when you start looking at the root of that word and where that word comes from, what that, the root of that word means that it's not just possessing, but it's possessing so that I can control it. 
If this is my water bottle, I decide who drinks this water bottle. I can share it or I can keep it. It's in my control. I control it. That's what covetousness does. It gives you control. And I'll give you a, a, a very easy analogy that you can all relate to. We, we were driving last night, and of course, there are billboards every once in a while that have the three big lotteries on them, um, Powerball, Mega Millions, and the Indiana Lottery. Well, one of the, I think it was Mega Millions, it's like, and I had to look up the figures, it's up to $367 million. And I've had people in my circle of friends, and I've gone to, some to, I've gone to their house, and there's their lottery ticket on their, on their refrigerator. And they're walking by and believe in God for a winning number on that lottery ticket so they can bless the church. Well, let's run through that. Let's say I bought a lottery ticket, I win this. $367 million. First of all, the cash, op cash options, only $228 million. Wow, I took a big hit right there. Taxes, going to take out enough that I'll be left with about, 100 and, or, yeah, about $130 million. I could probably live on that. I'm in, you know, I'm in my late 60s. I could probably survive for the next 20 years, 30 years on $132 million. But let's say I'm really generous and I'm not going to give God a tithe. I'm going to live on a tithe and give God the 90%. That leaves me about $13 million. And I invest that in um, some kind of an account that returns 4% a year. That's it. That's about half a million dollars a year. Half of that gone in taxes. That leaves me a measly $250,000 to live on every year. How many of you in here think you could survive on a quarter of a million dollars a year? Clear money. What does that do to you if you get that, if you win this? 90% of it's going into the gospel. But it puts you in a position where you're going to have a quarter of a million dollars coming in clear and free every year, and you don't have to use any faith for anything financial the rest of your days. Remember the concept we threw out a minute ago? Pray without ceasing. Keep, you need God in, I need God's presence in the next 10 seconds, 30 seconds. Now let me tell you, I've been in a position, and I'm still in a position, where I have to believe God for money, pay bills. I've got to exercise my faith. When you see me up here praying over my offering, it's not just something I'm doing. I am putting my faith that as I sow this, it's coming back. Why? Because if it doesn't come back, pressed down, shaking together, and running over, I don't have any money to pay my bills. I'm believing to get through the next month, six months, year. I'm having to use my faith to get blessed to survive financially. If I do this, God's out of the picture. I don't have to believe God for anything, for money. Is God going to do that? No. That's covetousness. I, don't, I want to get to where I just don't have to worry about money. Well, 
there are times when you may not have to worry about money, but God's never going to put you in a position where you don't have to put your faith in Him to meet your need. Because that has just become an idol. We just read in those first few um, uh, commandments, don't make a graven image. The problem wasn't the figurine. The problem, in fact, Paul says, look, there's nothing in an idol. It's the spirit behind the idol. And the spirit behind covetousness is, I'm going to be in control so that I can make the decisions. And God is not in the picture anymore. And you just made an idol out of whatever you are, are coveting. Jesus said it's in Matthew um, 6.11 or Luke 11.3. It's in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. So God doesn't want us to be rich. Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> not saying that at all. You all know the story of the rich young ruler. We want to look at that because this deals with covetousness. Matthew, and I'm going to start with Matthew, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at, a, at Luke and Mark's account of one verse. But in Matthew chapter 19, let's start in verse 16. This is Jesus in his encounter with the rich young ruler. It says, Now behold, one came to him and said, Good master, or good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Notice his approach right there is already off. Tell me what I need to do to get eternal life. The emphasis is on him, not on God. Verse 17, so he said to him, this is Jesus, Why do you call me good? No one's good but, the, but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So the ruler said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice, Jesus threw in, you shall love your neighbors yourself. It's not one of the Ten Commandments. He named five and added one that includes all the others. Then the young man said, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus says to him, You keep these commandments you will have eternal life. The guy looks at him and says, I have kept them, but I'm still lacking something. So what he just did, and it's a left-handed compliment, which is actually an insult. He said, look, Jesus, you say that if I keep all of these, I'll have eternal life. I have kept them all, and I don't have eternal life. Therefore, you're a liar. Now, he doesn't say it right out there. He doesn't get bold enough to get right up in his face and declare it. But that is exactly what he just told Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you can keep these, you have eternal life. I have kept them, and I don't have eternal life. You're missing something, Jesus. That's dangerous territory when you start telling Jesus he's missed something. But Jesus said to him, because here's the flaw. He was blinded. He, didn't, he thought he had kept all the commandments. He had not. This last one is where he got tripped up. So Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect. Now this word perfect doesn't, well it does. It, it literally means perfection. 
Several weeks ago, I used the, um, 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 the analogy, or, or I, it was from um, Dr. Schofield's example, that salvation comes in three tenses. I have been saved when I got born again. I'm being saved. That's the process of sanctification I'm living out right now, moment by moment. But there's a day coming when I shall be saved. And the ultimate end of that is not when Jesus comes back and I get a new body. It's when Jesus comes back, we go to heaven for the seven years, we come back, we go through the millennial reign. At the end of the millennial reign, there's the white throne judgment that Satan and all of his followers get thrown into the lake of fire. And Jesus says, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heaven and new earth, which we have very little concept of what it will be like, but in that situation, I am perfected. I have a born-again, um, 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 incorruptible body with a perfect spirit, perfectly joined with, with, with God, and I live in a world that has no imperfections anywhere in the entire universe. That's the perfection Jesus is talking about. You want to be perfect? You want that end result that, you, that we will see someday? Go, sell what you have, and give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said, so this guy, Jesus said, this, you want to be perfect? This is how you got to do it. This is what it requires of you. And he said, I can't do that. He asked a question, got an answer he didn't like, and walked away sad. But notice, Jesus um, um, said to his disciples, this has all been an object lesson for the disciples. In verse 23, he says, Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. There's a lot, there, there's four or five sermons right in that verse about the eye of the needle. But I don't have time to do those. So we're going to, we'll, we'll come back to that someday. Verse 25, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished. Did you ever wonder why are they astonished? Because most of them were very wealthy. We think of, of Peter as being this poor fisherman. Peter was a business owner. He owned a boat. That set him head and shoulders above most people. Most of the disciples were, were now they, they weren't palace rich, but they were wealthy by that day's standard. And they're looking at Jesus, and he's just said, if you, if you look at what, he's, what they ask him, their next question is, well, then who can be saved? And they're looking at themselves. You're telling me that because I'm prosperous, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time getting saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter, thank God for Peter, and then Peter answered and said to him, Lord, look, we've left everything and followed you. We walked away from our riches, and we have followed you. What you asked this, poor, this rich young ruler to do, we did. 
I walked away from my fishing business. Now, I think he left it with somebody to run because after the, the, the crucifixion, he went back to fishing. He had some place to go. He still had a business running. He just was an absentee owner. But he said, we left it all. We're following you. Therefore, what shall we have? What's this mean to us? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, that's the end of the end of the end, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Guys, you twelve right here, you're exalted in My kingdom because of what you're doing right now. That takes care of, of eternity. That takes care of heaven. And when everyone, notice how he's going to say this, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now, <coughs> receiving this hundredfold, what's that mean? And I've heard this people preach out of Matthew and said, well, now, that's when we get to heaven. I mean, the old, I was raised Baptist. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. You're in heaven now, seated at the right hand of the Father. We don't have to wait till we all get to heaven. We're there. Our job is not to get to heaven. Our job is to bring heaven to earth. How do we do that? Well, part of this if you look at Luke's account, this is, I, th I think, Luke um, 19, if I remember right. Um, maybe not. I don't have it written down here. But in, in verse um, 29, he says, So he said, this is talking about Jesus, same account. This is just Luke recording it. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time. What Jesus is saying to him, what he could have said to the rich young ruler, he just didn't stick around long enough to find out the complete thought that we see here that the rich young ruler gave up on was Jesus was saying, you leave everything you've got. You sell it all, you give it all to the poor, and you come follow me. I'm going to multiply that back to you a hundredfold today in this life. And then you're also going to get eternity because you're following me. And the rich young ruler, all he saw was, i got to give up. I'm going to lose. And he was covetous. He didn't want to be out of control because if he gave it up, guess what? He has to follow Jesus, and if he's following Jesus, Jesus is in control, and he doesn't have anything to fall back on. He doesn't have control over his life anymore. It's all for you, Jesus. Now, I'll be honest with you. Is it easy to follow Jesus? Well, it is when you, when, when you know he's, you know he's taking care of everything. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. 
But boy, when he, you know, being a pastor, you learn pretty quick. There's two areas you, you, you go very gently. That's talking about people's children and talking about people's money. You touch those two, that's like, you know, that, those are two sacred cows and they'll get your legs chopped off. Pretty quick. People get angry about those two subjects. But Jesus went to the heart of the matter with him. He said, you want to be in control of all your stuff? You can't come follow me. You need to give everything up. All of it. Every dime. Get rid of it. Come follow me. And down the road, I'm going to replace it all. And you're also going to have eternal life. In fact, Mark's account in, in Mark 10, verse 30, he said, this is how Mark recorded that same incident, who shall not receive, he's talking about these people that have given up things, they shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. He's saying, you want to follow me and you give up stuff for me? I will bless you back. And you're also going to walk in eternal life. That's why I, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not into twisting arms to give. Paul says it. Don't give out of compulsion. Literally, that means don't give if somebody's twisting your arm. I want you to give to the church. I want every one of you to become tithers and offering givers. Not because we need the money, but because you need to tap into God's blessings. You cannot give, you cannot obey God in giving something up and not have God bless you back. Now, sometimes when we do that, and this is the test, remember, I would, Romans 7, 7, I would not have known sin that I was covetous unless the Bible said don't covet. It's only when you tell me you got to give this up. And that urge comes up and says, no, I can't do that. I can't give that up. Why not? Well, I can't. I need that. Now, that's not, that's not something that I can tell you you have to give it up. That's something God has to tell you to give up. But when God says this needs to depart your life, oh, brother, you better get rid of it. Because if you don't, you're going to walk away sorrowful because you are coveting that thing and it has just become an idol. And when it becomes an idol, it draws God's curse and not his blessing. And if it's drawing his curse, you don't want any part of it. But when you do give it up, he says, great. Now, watch me bless you back. We, were, we, we, we prayed it a minute ago when we prayed over offering. Malachi told the nation of Israel, you're, you're stealing from me. You're stealing from God. And they protested and said, no, we're not. He said, yes, you are. You're not giving me the full tithe. If you would, I would open the windows of heaven and shower down a blessing larger than you could contain. There's only one other time in the Bible where the windows of heaven got opened, and that was Noah's flood. We've had a lot of rain this spring. We ain't seen anything like Noah. I will also rebuke the devourer in your behalf. I will keep the enemy out of your launch pail. 
You know, you can make millions and millions of dollars if the, if, if the devil steals a million and one, you're just as broke as when you started. And he said, and I will cause you to be a delightful land. I will give you things and you can enjoy them because they're blessed. Rather than you, Steve, we were, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but he used an old phrase. Get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. That's all that is for a lot of people. That's their philosophy. You do that, worms will eat that. Rust will destroy it. It will not last. Why? Because you're coveting it. Now, here, here's the, 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 the concept, though. And I'm, I'm only going to read a couple. Well, I'm just going to read through this list. What is coveting all about? And don't try to follow me on this. Matthew 10, 39, he who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Matthew 16, 25, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Mark 8, 35, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Luke uh, 9.24, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Luke 17.33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. And then John 12.25, he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That in, in, in the Gospels, that six times Jesus repeats the exact same thought. Here's the principle. You want something, you got to die to get it. You want it, you want to keep something, you got to get rid of it. You got to give it to God. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you got to cash out all your bank accounts and give all your money. No. But it is saying that when you pick up your checkbook and you look at that money, you realize the balance in that checkbook is not yours. It belongs to Jesus. And if it doesn't belong to Jesus, then it's in the wrong hands. And if he says give it, you got to give it. If he says store it up and, and start saving, you better start storing up and saving. For one thing, there may be some slim times coming. That's why it comes down to what we were singing earlier. I need the presence of God. I need to hear his voice to know what is God calling me to do right now? Am I supposed to be piling it up like Pharaoh? Or am I supposed to be sowing it out? Well, which is it, Pastor? I don't know. You have to hear from God. That's why, you know, the number one rule for pastors, quit giving advice. My initials are not H.S., I'm not the Holy Spirit to you. I can tell you what the Word says. I can give you principles to live by. But you have to get on your knees and pray to your God and hear His voice for your moment in time. And you can't ever get to a point where you're beyond praying about it and fasting about it and saying, God, i got to hear from you now. What do I do in this situation? I've got a windfall that's come in. Do I sow it out? 
I don't want to be the, the, the foolish farmer who built barns and hold, held it all up and then stood before God and he said, thanks, I've given that to somebody that will do what I want with it. And I don't want to be the rich young ruler who God says, give it all away. And I say, no, I'm too sad and walk away. Because sometimes this eternal life is not making it to heaven. It's walking in eternal life today. Because if you're a Christian, let me emphasize this. If you're a Christian, this is not about going to heaven or going to hell. If you're a Christian, heaven's already your home. If it's a Christian, it's about living in heaven now or living in hell now. And that comes by do you listen and do you obey Him? And there's only one way to do that. Practice, practice, practice. Pray, pray, pray. Study, study, study. Well, brother, that's hard. Not near as hard as having, keeping something that God's cursed. Not near as, as bad as having, you know, going and camping in the devil's backyard. And he comes out every once in a while and brings his big ball bat and just beats a tar out of you. And you're thinking, Lord, what's going on? And he's saying, well, you're over in the devil's yard. You're not here in mine. But, but I told you, give that thing up. I give it up. It's over in his territory. If you walk away from it, I'll bring it back to you over here. But you'll be living in my house and in my yard with my blessings. So covetousness is not just about having stuff, putting trophies on your... It's having a heart issue where you are not depending on God for everything. Because let's face it, there are no small issues. None. Some of the smallest issues, I'll close with this thought. 1860s, I think it was, um, Louis Pasteur, everybody knows him, famous man, came up with germ theory. All disease is caused by these little tiny microscopic bugs. And they laughed him out of Paris. He was a very prosperous scientist and they threw him out of the Academy of Science they said go back to your farm you're stupid nothing that tiny could hurt people and he went back and he proved out his theory he took his herd of sheep and some of his neighbors because his neighbors started seeing his sheep they weren't dealing with anthrax anymore and anthrax was a huge problem in France at this time and then it, those friends told other friends, and everybody started doing this, and suddenly they realized, he's right. Well, today we look at it and we think, that's pretty simple. Everybody knows that. They didn't know it back then. But he got a revelation from God. And once he got that revelation, it blessed the earth. Suddenly, doctors decided, you know, maybe we ought to wash our hands before we do surgery. Maybe if I've done surgery on Mark, I ought to wash that and sterilize that instrument before I do surgery on Jerry. Wow, what a concept. One little revelation from God can change the world. But if we're too busy or too covetous, to let go of something, God's going to have a hard time getting it to you.
Don't try to control your life. Just pray. Let God do with you what he wants to do. And when he says, give it up, your flesh will scream. You'll say, I can't. The price is too big. No, never too big. Never too big. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.